Uh, let's get into 2 Peter. 2 Peter 2, 10 through 16 today. We're going to talk about the quality of the false teachers. If I had this to do over again, I probably would have combined yesterday's lesson with this lesson. It's a little bit redundant, but here we are now, so we're going to do it now. Uh, so we're going to read all of 2 Peter 2, 10 through 16, and then we're going to read some of Jude. We're just going to do a bunch of reading real quick and get it all in our minds, and then we'll discuss it. So let's start with 2 Peter 2, 10 through 16. So he's talking again, uh, before we say this, he's talking about false teachers, right? Uh, teachers who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. And here's what he says about these false teachers. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage of their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. Accursed children! They've forsaken the right way, they have gone astray, they have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophets of madness. Uh, okay, a couple of things about this text as we're going to go through. This is a description, and it's sort of a rant, almost. It's as much of a rant as Scripture has. Of, of You can very clearly feel Peter's angst and anger and and disgust with false teachers, can't you, as you go through this text. Uh, very similar to some stuff in Jude. And in general, 2 Peter and Jude follow a lot of the same trajectory. Uh, there's a question of whether or not one of them copied from the other. I don't know. They were writing to different groups of people, and probably those groups of people needed to hear the same sort of stuff. It is possible, of course, that one of them read the letter of the other and then and then sort of, oh, that's good. I should write this to some other people, which is fine. You can't. It's not. It's not wrong to copy scripture. Uh, so let's read some in Jude. Jude 1, uh, I say 1, it's just 8 through 13. Uh, let's read that. This is a similar discussion that Jude is writing. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand. They are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them! For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the gain, sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts. They feast with you without fear. Sheep, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless cl clouds swept along by the winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. You can see, and I'm not going to put them up on the screen if you look in your Bibles at the two sections. Lot, a lot of eerily, suspiciously similar language, right? Uh, it could be because the Holy Spirit's inspiring both. Both could be that the word choice, you I've always wondered about the word choice and inspiration. Obviously, the different authors have their own voice, but very clearly they're, they're writing very similar things to, to different audiences, and they're using some of the same arguments, right? They're talking about false teachers 
And this is how God views false teachers, right? This is how God thinks about false teachers. And so let's co let's cover some of the qualities that they list in this uh, these sections of the text. The qualities of false teachers and, and why we're going to talk about this. There's two points. One, these are the kind of things we need to look out for in our fellowships, in our assemblies, right? People that have these kind of qualities are people that we should be on the lookout for as to whether or not they're teaching true things, right? The second thing is we need to examine ourselves to see if we have these qualities. Because if we have these qualities, it, and, and it's kind of a chicken egg situation, right? Do you become a false teacher because you have these qualities? Or do you have these qualities because you're teaching false things? And I could see it going either way. Now, I think probably most of the time, People have these qualities first, and that leads them to teach false things. But at the end of the day, if you're not teaching what's true in Scripture, it will lead you into some of these attitudes, some of these attributes, if you're not trying to follow Scripture. So it could be, I could see it going either way, the, the flow of cause and effect here. So we need to be careful for ourselves. If we notice in ourselves some of these qualities... That that's a, a uh, should be a blaring alarm. Hey, pay attention, look out. Maybe you're not doing what's right. So let's look at this list of qualities. Uh, bold, willful. We're going to talk about some of these as we go through. Bold, willful, irrational, or unreasoning. So, and I've I put some of them from Jude as well, right? So uh, Jude, Peter has irrational. Jude has unreasoning. Instinctual, ignorant, pleasure seekers, revelers, deceitful insatiable, greedy, uh, they reject authority, and they're fearless. Uh, what do we see, the overall the overall thing about this? The overall unifying theme of these qualities is what? They are selfish. They are self-centered. When we are self-centered, and I, I do think, again, the cause and effect can go either way. When we are self-centered, that leads us to reject God's will. Because God's will is all about being God-centered, right? It's not about me, it's about God. So why would I teach what scripture says if I want to be it all about me? And yet they do in some sense, you look at the text again, we're not going to read them again. They might be teaching some good things. Peter says what? They secretly bring in destructive heresies. Jude says that they are at our love feasts. I think that's the communion is the love feast. They are there with us, right? So they are espousing some correct ideas. But at the end of the day, they're trying to make it about them and not about God. Now, this might happen... This doesn't just happen with teachers. It is a particularly dangerous thing with teachers because they might influence other people. But this might just happen with, I, I put in quotes here, the regular Christian, right? The layman. We don't have laymen necessarily because we're all a, a priesthood, right? The, the, there's not really a distinction in, in scripture about that. But the, the people who are not actively involved in teaching, Christians who are not actively involved in that on a regular basis still might have some of these qualities if they're not wanting to make scripture, if they're not wanting to make their relationship with God about God, if they're wanting to do sort of Christianity in a selfish way. They could still be instinctual and ignorant and irrational, etc., etc., etc. Now, the thing that is particularly relevant to false teachers is doing it for selfish gain, right? That's the point. I think that a lot of the point that Peter and Jude bring up, I'll put these texts back on the screen to make this point, uh, let's see here. Uh, here we are. Uh, they have hearts trained in greed, right? 
They have eyes. Uh, they have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. Peter talks about Balaam here. They have followed the way of Balaam, who loved gain from wrongdoing. So, uh, when we think about these qualities, yes, some just quote unquote ordinary non-teachers might have that these qualities. But the thing that is particularly destructive about the false teacher is making it about self for personal gain and taking advantage of Christians or people who have good intention taking advantage of those people for personal gain. You see, and I don't even have to list who's all doing this. You you know, you can just list, I'm sure, as you think about this in your house or wherever you're watching this, you can think of a number of people, prominent public figures who are doing this, who are distorting the truth of the gospel for personal selfish gain. And I'm generally not an angry person, but it, it is probably the kind of person that makes me the most angry. It is very, I have the same sort of, I, I really empathize with Peter's rant in this text, right? As he just starts listing some really awful things about these people. There's a, and here's the difficult thing for me, and maybe for a lot of you. At the end of the day, even though these people are doing horrible, despicable things, teaching people wrong things, leading people astray, I still have to have the attitude that that person might repent and be saved. I can't just write people off. Now, the difficulty with false teachers and why there's so much of the, the later part of the New Testament, uh, the earlier parts of the New Testament are really, when I say earlier, the parts of the New Testament that were written earlier tend to focus more on this is how we should live, this is the kind of behavior you should have, this is the way you live the Christian life. We understand why that is. The later books in the New Testament, the books that were written later, not the ones that come later in your Bible, but the books that were written later in the New Testament, although they are generally at the end of the Bible, tend to focus a lot on false teachers and the the way we have to reject and have nothing to do with false teachers. And so there's a difficult balance for me. Okay, if I'm supposed to not have anything to do with false teachers, yet I know that God still values that person's soul and I still want to try to reach them with the gospel, that can be a difficult thing to balance. I don't want those people to spread their lies in our assembly and mislead people, so we, we cast them out. And he says as much in, in these texts not to have anything to do with them. He, and Paul's very specific with Timothy about it. And yet I still, we still need to have the attitude that they're valuable to God as eternal souls and, and really having an attitude of pity and, and sadness over their behavior instead of you're going to get what's coming to you, right? Uh, let's look at some other ideas in the text. A couple of things that G Peter and Jude bring up. I'm looking at my time. Blasphemers. They both talk about this idea. Interesting thing about Michael and Jude here. 2 Peter 2, uh, 10 and 11, we'll read that. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. That uh, may be Christians, but probably talking about spiritual beings, uh, angelic beings. Whereas angels, though greater in power and might, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. And Jude is more specific. He gives an example. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. And this is sort of my point about what I was saying about balancing these ideas. The idea of blaspheme here is to speak evil of or to speak evil against. And what's Peter and Jude's point? 
leave that to God, right? Leave the judgment, the pronouncing of judgment upon people like this, people who are false teachers leading people astray, teaching wrong things. Do not take the mantle of judgment upon yourself, right? Isn't that what he's saying here? He says, they do not tremble as they blaspheme glorious ones, though the angels do not do that. They let God do it. And he's more specific in Jude, right? Michael did not presume to pronounce a judgment, blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. One of the things that false teachers do, the attitude that false teachers have, is they take on the mantle of judgment themselves. Now, when I say mantle of judgment, they act as they are the judge. They're the ones that get to pronounce judgment. Well, that's, that's just not the way it is. And so we cannot stoop to their level if we're thinking about false teachers. We still need to maintain the attitude that the Lord is the one who judges. And ultimately, I hope that even false teachers might come to repentance might realize their error and come and be saved. I know God's going to deal with it. God's going to handle it the way it needs to be handled, a way that is just and right. And I'm thankful for that. I don't have to deal with it. I don't have to make that decision. Now, I do have to figure out how to interact with that person in, in life, and that's a difficult thing sometimes. But one of the qualities about these false teachers is they are presumptuous and very quick to pronounce judgment, blaspheme, to speak evil of, where they do not have that authority right? Uh, another interesting quality or another thing that the Peter and Jude bring up is the examples from the past, Balaam and, uh, of course, Jude mentions some others. Second Peter 2.15, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. Woe to them, for they have walked in the uh, way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's heir who perished and perished in Korah's rebellion. Uh, we see a couple of things here, similar ideas. One, of course, they both mention Balaam, that story in Numbers 22. Balaam is asked, hey, uh, why don't you pronounce a judgment over uh, your Balaam? Uh, so let's actually, let's, let me just start that over. I sort of bungled that whole sentence. So the story of Balaam, some people come to Balaam and they're like, oh, you're a prophet. You speak from God. I would like you to pronounce a judgment against Israel. And Balaam's like, well, I can't really do that. And they offer him money, right? And he's walking on his way and he's going to go. He, you get the sense in the story and there's some interesting subtlety in the story. But you, he goes on his way to go do this thing for money. And of course, the donkey is like, no, you can't do that. Stop doing that, right? The angel appears on the road and, and then there's a miraculous thing with the donkey. And, and the point is what? The point of the story for Jude and Peter is what? They were going to do a thing. They were going to say something God hadn't said. He was going to pronounce a judgment of God that God had not pronounced for money. And there's a lot of idea of selfish gain in these texts. We can think about Cain. The, the example of Cain, of course, in Jude is what? They were jealous. He, Cain was jealous of Abel. And so he killed him because he was jealous. And these false teachers, they operate on under jealousy, right? They see that the way that gospel grows and people are converted and people are, are believing in God. And, and they're like, I want that. I want to be the center of attention. And so they teach false things to make themselves the center of attention. Uh, Korah's rebellion. What is Korah's rebellion about? Well, that was a, a time in Moses's life when people were like, ah, Moses, you shouldn't be in charge. Was it Moses? Let's actually just double check that really quick. Uh, so I'm not making that up. Um, let me find out where that is. 
Oops, that's in Jude. Anyway, the, but the, the story is that one of uh, Korah led a bunch of people to rebel against God's chosen ruler. And, of course, we know what happened with Korah. He, the earth, I think the earth swallowed him up. It's in number 16. Yeah, they rose up before Moses. I don't know why I doubted myself about that. It's in number 16, uh, verse 2. Uh, uh, Korah and a bunch of people, they rose up before Moses with a number of people, and they assembled themselves together, and they said, you have gone too far, right? All the congregation is holy. You shouldn't be in charge. I'm paraphrasing now. Uh, you shouldn't be in charge. And then, of course, Moses says, well, let's just let God decide, and, and God decides by killing them all. And so all of Korah's rebellion dies. And again, the point is what? They reject authority. So at the end of the day, I'm going way over time on this lesson. Just is what it is. At the end of the day, a couple of things. One, we have to be careful how we treat false teachers not to fall into the trap that they have and pronounce judgment where we shouldn't. Number two, we do need to be on the lookout for people with these qualities so that we will not follow after their teaching because that will lead us away from God. And number three, we have to be careful not to find these qualities in ourselves, right? To be self-aware, am I demonstrating these qualities? And what does that say about my relationship with God? And at the end of the day, I have to be very careful because I don't want to be lost, right? I don't want to be lost like these, like Korah or Cain, who is, of course, exiled and wandered the earth, right? I don't want to be like them who were punished. Let's end in a prayer, and then I'll conclude with some announcements. God, we thank you for the example of your word. Help us to have humble hearts, to not be overstep our bounds and reject authority. God, help us to submit to your will out of love and humility. We are thankful for your love and for the blessings that you give us every day. I ask that you be with those who are hurting, with the family of Kent Thomas and uh, uh, John Quigley, who both of whom have passed recently. I ask that you please be with them, uh, their families, and be with the people who are friends with them, that they would be comforted. I ask that you please be with us as we are trying to make wise decisions about reopening public worship, that we would make decisions that are good and right and are pleasing to you. God, we love you. We thank you for your blessings. In Jesus' name, amen.